So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Then the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Right, thanks for that, uh, Josh. So, uh, in that row of Bible reading, uh, you uh, might realize that uh, there is a problem. Something's now broken down between us and God. Uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14, and uh, we're going to read about this wonderful solution, this <clears throat> way that our Father has solved our great problem. So Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14, that's on page 1205. It says... Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obliged to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, 
being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, well, good morning, St. Metz. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. My name's Caden. Uh, it's my privilege to be opening God's word with you this morning. As we do that, let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning through the work of Christ. We pray as we hear from your word this morning that you might transform our hearts and minds to live in the truth of the gospel. Help us to come near to you this morning in repentance, knowing that you are gracious and forgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, this morning I want us uh, to do a bit of a thought experiment to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. I had a Christian friend a few years ago that was caught in a pornography scam. He was blackmailed, and he was told that his whole email contact list was going to be sent to his browsing history, and that they had photographic evidence of him to prove if he didn't pay up the fee. Now, he contacted the police, and they said, yes, this seems like a credible threat. And so he took the bold step of telling people publicly that what had happened. I think he emailed all his contacts, or maybe he posted up on Facebook, telling them that, yes, this was true, Uh, you might receive an email from those who were blackmailing him. He'd been using pornography, uh, and he and his wife were working through it together with their church. Just feel the weight of that, the shock. I mean, I, I felt for him. Maybe that's not your personal struggle, but just imagine the threat of something so intimate and personal being sent to your close friends your parents, your work colleagues, and anyone else you'd ever sent an email to. Just thinking about that situation makes me wince, feeling the pain of being made to make something like that public. That level of vulnerability makes me so uncomfortable. But I don't think it's just an issue with the publicity of it, just the mere expression of it. The acknowledgement of sin is uncomfortable. The vulnerability of laying out the truth of our real self goes against our nature. In our world of presenting our ideal self to people in social situations, of highlights reels on social media, the exposure of our true self cuts deep against the grain. Because vulnerability It means that we lose our autonomy. If we can't control what other people think of us, they can have power over us, and we become dependent on them. But even when it comes to God, who I know is good and loving and forgiving, I want to hide away my sin. I don't want to be vulnerable to lose my autonomy. I prefer to just brush it under the carpet, pretend that it it doesn't exist. I know that God knows everything, but I still play down my sin. It wasn't that bad. Or I blame others. I blame my circumstances. If she hadn't have said that, I was just, I was tired. I was in a rush. Maybe you feel like that too. You ignore sin. You feel the pangs of guilt, but you minimize it. 
You feel ashamed of the ways that you've acted, but you excuse it. If we're honest with ourselves, we all struggle to own up to our shortfalls, our selfishness. We all struggle to take responsibility for our rebellion against God and his way of life. So today, I want to convince you that we don't need to hide our sin. We don't need to cover it up. We don't need to sow fig leaves and pretend that God can't see our sin. But because of the gospel, we can own up to it and bring it to God. Because God has a solution to our problem. God has a way for us to be vulnerable and to remove our guilt and shame. My prayer for us as a church today is that we might confidently approach God in all our sin and find help from him. All our way through the book of Hebrews, we've been thinking about holding fast to God, not drifting away from him, not giving up on that gift of eternal salvation that he offers. And I think in our passage today, we get another great encouragement, a great provision from God that will help us to hold fast to our confession so that we might enter God's rest. So today we're going to focus on God's provision of a great high priest for us. As we walk through the passage, we're going to think about our high priest under three headings, uh, the sympathetic priest, the appointed priest, and the obedient priest. Sympathetic, appointed, and obedient priest. And just a heads up, that last point will be a little bit shorter before we draw it all together. So firstly, Jesus, the sympathetic priest. Jesus is not an ordinary priest. This is a great high priest. The only time we see this title in the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, God provided many priests for his people to mediate between people and God. Aaron and his descendants were the high priests, but here we come to a great high priest. The one all the Old Testament priests were pointing for, pointing towards, and were shadows of. So what's so great about him, about this priest? Well, this high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, is like us in so many ways, but crucially different in the most important way. Have your Bibles out. Have a look. Chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. How? Well, during his life on earth, Jesus was tempted, just like we are. He was a man, a real living human being who had needs just like us. He felt hungry, tired, lonely. But the key and essential difference is he didn't sin. He never rebelled against God, not in his actions, not in his words, not in his thoughts or his desires. I don't know about you, but I find this hard to grasp. Sin is so pervasive in our lives. It feels like a natural part of creation, part of our very being. It almost feels like to be human is to be sinful. Yet that's not the way God thinks about it. 
That's not the way that God created us to be. Because as the perfect and complete person, the one who we should all be like, Jesus, who shares fully in our humanity, resists sin. Maybe like I have at times, you think that it was easy for Jesus to not sin when tempted. He couldn't sin because he is God, so it must have been simple for him. But think about it for a moment. What's easier, to resist temptation or to give in? Uh, Picture temptation as an uphill walk along a ridgeline. Or maybe if you're a little bit crazy, you could think about it as an uphill run. It's hard work, right? As you keep going higher and higher, it gets harder and harder. Your legs start burning, your lungs start struggling for air. But there's always the option to turn off, to stop, or turn to the side and head downhill. That's what it's like to give in to temptation. We stop the uphill battle and fall into sin. We do that constantly, don't we? But Jesus, Jesus never gave in. He kept going on that uphill, persevering against temptation, against all opposition, right up to his death. That's certainly more than anything we have ever faced. And so he knows what it's like to face temptation. Perhaps not the exact same experience of life you've had, but he's resisted further than any of us. He didn't give in once. Never spoke from selfishness. Never acted out of envy. Never desired harm for his enemies. At the point where we would give in or give up, he persevered and kept going. So he can sympathize with us. He knows our struggle. He knows how hard it is, and he can walk alongside us in our temptation. Like a good coach who's a veteran of the game himself, he can walk alongside us and coach us on as we seek to battle against temptation in our own lives. But a priest is far more than just a coach. Jesus is not just a personal trainer or a supporter on the sideline. A priest is the one who opens the way for us to approach God. Uh, Read verse 16 with me. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus' work for us as a priest is what allows us to draw near to God. We don't have to hide away in guilt and shame for what we've done. We don't need to minimize our sin. We don't need to pass the blame to others. We can come to God with confidence. Because of Jesus' priesthood, we can confidently approach God's throne. Not a throne of anger. Not the throne of a disappointed parent whose standards we haven't met. But a throne of grace. The throne that seats the God who created the universe. The God who judges the hearts of all people who knows every thought and intention, we can approach him despite our sin, despite our failing, and we are met with mercy and grace.
through Jesus, we find the help that we need in our weakness, in our temptation, in the midst of our sin. Because he can sympathize with us, he can give us what we need when we struggle. When we're struggling, when we're failing in our fight against temptation, God provides just what we need. He's the one who gives the spirit so that we can persevere. As 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. God is able to help us. God is able to provide the circumstances, the endurance that we need, so that we're never forced into sin. But when we do fail, again, we can keep coming back to his throne of grace because Jesus is always sympathetic. We can always find mercy and grace. Let's spend some time thinking about Jesus, our appointed high priest. Just like God established Aaron and the Levites under the old covenant to serve as priests, he also established Jesus as a high priest. Why is this important for us to understand? How does it help us to draw near to God? Well, there's two ways it helps. First, as we look at the Old Testament high priests, we see Jesus' role for us now, and we understand our barrier of sin. And secondly, we recognize that he's not starting something new. He's fulfilling and completing that that already existed. We get the role description of a high priest summarized for us. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. The role of the high priest after the fall was to enable people to have a relationship with God so they could come under the covenant blessing. How did they do that? The priests had to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, this was a, a messy job. A lot of slaughtering animals, sprinkling and rubbing blood on things, <clears throat> burning lots of sacrifices. Uh, they didn't just order their groceries online and get a delivery of meat in a nice plastic sealed package. Now, this was a very real visual and physical representation that showed the Israelites, and us as we reflect on it, that coming to God is not easy. That our sin is a big barrier. That our sin needs to be atoned for. That the guilt of sin can't just be written off. There's a necessary debt to be paid, even for Israel's appointed high priest. But we also see the Old Testament priest was able to deal, deal gently with people just as Jesus deals gently with us as our high priest. Knowing what it's like to be weak, to face temptation, and even to give in to it, the Old Testament priest was able to deal gently with people. Jesus can have an even greater gentleness with us because he knows us more fully. He knows our weakness more fully. Secondly, Jesus' role is not a new thing. 
He didn't come to earth and establish a new way of relating to God. He didn't set up a new religion. His appointment as a high priest is not a usurping of authority. No, God is a God of order, not chaos. He doesn't arbitrarily set things up and demolish them again. Instead, the priests were a good and helpful thing for God's people. They pointed people back to God. And therefore, Jesus is the fulfillment of what the Old Covenant priests were anticipating. He can more fully point people to God because he is a more complete high priest. He not only represents people to God, but God to people. Have a look from verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a true high priest. His work is the work of all high priests, to bring people to God. He was appointed by God as his son and as a rightful priest like Melchizedek. We'll get into the details of Melchizedek in a few weeks, but for now, just note, he's not a Levite like the normal priests, but he is a legitimate and eternal priest. So we can trust Jesus' work on our behalf. His work of removing this barrier between us and God is sufficient. Unlike the old covenant priests, Jesus is able to reveal God to us. Jesus, as the Son of God, is fully man and fully God. He's not a go-between who might make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes in representing us to God, and he doesn't make mistakes representing God to us. No, Jesus perfectly reveals God's nature to us, and so when we come to the throne of grace, we won't be surprised. We can come confidently because we know that God forgives us completely when we come with Christ as our high priest. So lastly, and a bit more briefly, I want us to think about Jesus as our obedient priest. Because Jesus was obedient for us, we can now live in obedience too. Have a read with me verse 8 and 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience, not because he was rebellious beforehand, but learned it as he put his obedience into practice. As he went through suffering for us, he had opportunity to demonstrate his obedience. And his obedience stands in stark contrast to the rebellion of Israel that we read about in chapter 3 and 4. Where their hearts were hard and they rebelled, Jesus suffered and was resolutely obedient. And as he demonstrated his obedience, he was made perfect. As he went through suffering, through death, obedient to the will of the Father, he completed the work of salvation for us. His perfection is his completion of his earthly work set for him, the means by which he becomes the source of eternal salvation. 
It's through his resurrection and ascension that we see his completed work of salvation. As we saw back in chapter 4.14, he passed through the heavens. He didn't just pass through the temple curtain to make a sacrifice and then come out again like the old covenant priests. He was raised up to an eternal position of priesthood to bring us permanently into God's presence. And it's because of this certainty, because of our assurance of forgiveness through Christ's work for us, that we are free to obey. Our obedience isn't our means to salvation, but it's what flows from our salvation as we truly grasp hold of Jesus' work for us. Let's put it all together then. We've seen that Jesus is our great high priest, who's sympathetic, appointed by God, and obedient to him. How does knowing these things change the way we think about our sin and our approach to God? I hope that as we've seen Jesus today, as we've thought about his priestly ministry on our behalf, that you've seen his gentleness that you've recognized you don't need to hide your sin from him. That you don't need to let your feelings of guilt and shame keep you from coming to God. Instead, those feelings of guilt and shame should bring us to God. They should remind us of our need for him and his mercy and grace to help in times of need. What would it look like for us as a church if we were convinced of this. Convinced that Jesus is a merciful high priest who enables us to come to the throne of grace. Well, I think it should give us great freedom. Freedom to confess. We should be liberated from guilt and shame, liberated from fear and the desire to hide from God, and ready to confidently approach him through Jesus' work for us. We will find freedom to come through our high priest and acknowledge our sin in our lives. That deep and hidden sin. The ongoing sin we keep denying the effects of. To ask forgiveness for it and for God's help to overcome it. That means not ignoring sin until the feelings of guilt goes away. When we wrong someone that instead of just avoiding them and avoiding God until those feelings of guilt have gone down enough, that we come back to him. Now, instead that we would come to God and ask forgiveness and ask for his grace to work in our hearts. And as we do that, as we confess sin and experience God's forgiveness, God's grace will overflow in our lives. Knowing we're forgiven by God will free us to confess to others, to acknowledge when we've done wrong against others. Since we won't be defined by our false identity as perfect people, we'll be able to be open and honest about sin. We'll be able to go to those that we've offended and work through our disagreements, rather than having resentment and bitterness build up in us and in them. And experiencing God's forgiveness of us we'll be more able to forgive those who wrong us. We'll be a community that doesn't hold grudges against one another, 
that doesn't use guilt and shame to, manip- to manipulate one another. When someone lets us down in a relationship, which they will, we'll be able to let go of our hurt and seek the good of those around us instead of looking out for just our own selves. And lastly, seeing Jesus' obedience and his suffering for us opens the way for us to be obedient. We will come to God for help in the face of temptation. And through the power of God's Spirit, we will be made like our Savior. Not automatically, not without pain and disappointment and failure along the way, but slowly and surely, through the ups and downs, will be transformed into the image of Christ as we walk alongside one another, as we encourage each other to keep turning back to God, to keep holding on to our confession and to rely on our high priest. We will be a people who can joyfully serve our great God, knowing how much our great Savior has served us and continues to serve and work in us and for us. Let me pray that we would become those people. Heavenly Father, we are full of sin. At times, we feel guilt and shame because of it. At other times, we suppress those feelings and ignore and hide our sin. Let us be people who live in truth who boldly approach your throne, admitting our sin, knowing that you are gracious and merciful, that you forgive our sin when we trust Jesus, and work in us powerfully. Give us what we need to keep fighting against sin, that we might glorify your name. It's through Jesus' work as our high priest that we pray. Amen.